less than 24 hours, Georgians will be under a shelter-in-place order. McDonald, though, said he did not know the man was handcuffed and was trying to use his foot to pin him to the ground so he could be handcuffed. If your friends, neighbors, or local organizations are not complying, report them to us. Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Free Georgia Podcast. My name is Jake Green. Thank y'all so much for joining me this week. Um, if you have any thoughts on liberty, if you have any interest in learning more about what you hear in this podcast, please uh, go to lpgeorgia.com or contact me directly at podcast at lpgeorgia.com. Um, we have tons of resources available on our website. We have so many people who are willing to talk to you, to inform you, to educate you, and just um, and listen to you, listen to your grievances, your thoughts, your, your problems, whatever it is. This episode is brought to you by Viking Metals, a full-service, family-owned and operated sheet metal manufacturer. They offer a wide array of products, including both commercial and residential gutters, downspouts, copings, gravel stops, valleys, trim packages, and custom products. If you can think it, they can make it. Again, this episode is brought to you by Viking Metals. Today, I have a very special guest, um, Mr. Jack Lloyd. Jack, welcome to the podcast. Hey, how's it going, Jake? <laughs> good, good. Um, Jack, I got to be honest, I'm somewhat new to libertarianism. I've been, I've, I joined the LP like three years ago now. Okay. Wow. And uh, I don't know all the names in the LP and I didn't know who you were, but as soon as Elizabeth Melton told me who was going to be on the podcast, I started doing some research and man, you've been in this for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I've definitely been in a while for sure. I mean, uh, I've been liber Liberty uh, leaning since like 2006 um, and I've done stuff I guess you could say in and around the LP since about late 2007, 2008 arena. Yeah. Okay. Um, I guess one of the, one thing that I have trouble with pretty frequently is um, burnout is trying to do too much and getting too depressed that not enough things are changing quickly enough. Um, what, like, what kind of advice would you give somebody that, you know, as someone who's been in this for like 15, 16 years? <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, it just depends on the person. Um, I would say when it comes to the principles, first and foremost, I mean, that that's always about your own life and your own behavior and your own choices, you know, in terms of what you do with others and your economic life and your work. So I, I think that, uh, you know, liberty starts at home and it starts with the individual. So I think that where you really ground your sense of self-purpose and direction is, is thinking about, um, how to be the the best version of yourself first and and really taking care of yourself getting self-knowledge like working you know on i guess you could say your past traumas and, and things that you know you may have struggled through because i think a lot of people who are coming to libertarianism um, very often are coming from other backgrounds it's rare i mean it happens but it's rare that someone is born libertarian in terms of like their family was libertarian they grew up in and that kind of thing and that's a little bit more rare it's 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 more common that someone discovers it after being you know whatever they could have been a democrat republican or you know someone apathetic so there there's a lot of stuff to unpack uh, as an individual and, and to and to reflect on and you know <laughs> the totality of their life and choices so i think that's kind of the first place to get grounded in is is taking care of yourself and your needs and, and your mental health and all that good stuff. And then um, 
once you have that kind of ground, then it becomes easier to have a, a vision of, of what you're passionate about. Mm. I think sometimes people do the, um, the opposite first. So sometimes people will get really excited about the principles, almost like a, a new convert. Like, you know, I can compare it to like Christianity or something like that. And someone's like a new believer. Um, and all of a sudden they want to do everything, but they haven't worked in themselves first kind of thing. And they get burned out with a lot of problems and contradictions. So the libertarianism is the same thing. There, there's a lot that you, you have to take care of yourself first. And then after that, it becomes easier, you know, to manage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm a libertarian. Now. Oh, I got to run for office. I got to do this. I like, no, we're like, Take care of yourself first. Work yeah, on your but, first. yeah, for sure. I, I actually recently saw a tweet. I forget who tweeted it, but uh, they were saying that um, this is kind of a knock, but kind of an interesting point is that like podcasting has, I guess, kind of diluted the libertarian message and made it less intellectually rigorous for people to like jump into the sphere. Um, do you have any thoughts on that kind of thinking? Um, it depends. I mean, I, I would say there's nothing wrong with podcasting. Of course, a lot of people will um, use podcasting as their processing. So mm -hmm. sometimes you'll see people who are not experts. They're kind of new to it, but they're, they're doing the processing out loud. They're like talking and learning at the same time. And there's nothing wrong with that if someone is um, doing that just because they're doing it as a form of enjoyment. They're like, like discussing things with, with other people and talking about philosophy and ideas. There's nothing wrong with that. I'd say where it's harmful is someone is like oh i became a libertarian you know last week and now i have a podcast and i'm the authority and like then they're you know really it's <laughs> destroying every every sense of of a credibility they have as they you know say a bunch of different contradictory things and people are like what that's you know and that's that's common because a lot of people who are um you know coming in it for those reasons they if they want it just for the fame or just for the interest of the clout then you know, they, they might be trying to be a bigger fish in a small pond and trying to, you know, mm -hmm. up that way. And it, it's true. You can do that for any fandom or any genre of things, right? You can, you can look for a way to try to get big. Um, but if you do that and then you're contradictory a lot, you're going to, you know, you're going to get hit pretty hard by a lot of other people who are like, yeah, you're, you're talking. About <laughs> <laughs> so. For sure. That, that does happen quite a bit. There's, there's yeah, definitely yeah. some, uh, I've, I did a whole podcast on uh, like infighting, and everything that happens and there's you know there's some people who will will sling some crap at other people as soon as they say anything wrong and i for me personally like i enjoy like new libertarians going on podcasts and like hearing how they got there and like seeing how they grow over the years i think it's it makes it more relatable to people who aren't necessarily like fully libertarian yet in my opinion um and yeah i guess you're right the problem is when they start acting like they're the authority on everything um, right off the bat. So <laughs> um, what was your path to Liberty like? Because um, for me, like I, I had to change. I, I grew up Republican and I had to change a, a little bit, but like I was all, I always kind of felt disassociated from the Republican party and didn't like, I agreed with a couple points. So, um, but then I over time figured out that, man, I don't agree with them on most of the important points. Um, and it, so it was kind of an easier transition for me. And it was kind of like I found my home. Um, whereas I know a lot of people, it takes a long time of like breaking, breaking down um, what like their thought processes from, from where they were before. What was your path like? Uh, so I grew up in, um, I guess you could say an evangelical conservative, but really neoconservative household. 
And so that was a lot of my modeling. And, and I went to a private Christian school where that was more common. Um, so I, you know, when you came to adulthood and being a freshman in college, I was basically a Republican neoconservative who, you know, really gave lip service to freedom and, and did kind of like what those things. But in reality, like I was, I was making justifications for everything from, you know, money to Israel to wars to, you know, police and the war and drugs and stuff. So um, I had a very typical mainstream background. I, I didn't have even like some young people might get in school. I didn't read Ayn Rand. Um, I didn't read Bastiat in school. Uh, I didn't, you know, read anything that, you know, might be like somewhat libertarian, you know, where you might get a little touch on it, even like Milton Friedman, like his free to choose series. We didn't have that in school. So I really didn't have much, um, uh, of that kind of thinking or thoughts presented to me until I was, uh, free to, to choose to look up things on the internet and start to Google stuff and talk to some people on campus and, and whatnot. And I didn't even actually have my first libertarian thoughts come from, uh, talking to someone who's libertarian per se, I had the investigation come from a history class. I was uh, going over the American eugenics movement and they were talking about Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes and the case of uh, Buck v. Bell, where uh, Carrie Buck was this young woman who was uh, forcibly sterilized uh, because of basically her being epileptic. And they're saying, oh, she's too stupid to breed. So hearing that, I was like, what? I, well, that's crazy. I never thought that would happen. <laughs> here like i thought that happened in like germany or something so that made me go okay well if i didn't know that what else did i know about history so i had to go to start relooking at everything else that i came across like alex jones and stuff back then uh which was a lot of fun and <laughs> i was definitely going down that rabbit hole of looking at everything anew and like oh okay wow uh, what they teach in school the history books yeah they, they they don't they leave out all the bad stuff that the government does you know what i mean so <laughs> that really was what kind of like shocked me out of out of my statism and and pushed me down the path of starting to to look into libertarian ideas and eventually like i came across um this guy named mark stevens on the no state project he had a website and it asked the question should goods and services be provided the barrel of a gun and i was like oh, okay yeah I, I can't ethically say that's right, you know, no matter what. I'm like, I think ethically that, that you know, doesn't make sense. So that's what kind of turned me all the way to a voluntarist eventually, you know, thinking through that. So. Gotcha. That's really cool. I like that path. That's a good one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I didn't take you too long to get there too. Cause some people it takes forever. Like I can <laughs> see my parents slowly getting there just by me etching away, you know, year by year. Um, yeah. but man, it, it takes a long time to break people of some habits. Oh, definitely. I mean, it took me years to go from neoconservative to full on voluntarist. I mean, I think that process was like four years. I mean, to get to libertarian Big L, you know, it took only like a year and a half or so. But right. um, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely took a while to break down a lot of different presuppositions <laughs> I had about the government and everything in the economy. I mean, it the brainwashing is heavy. You know what I mean? You really it's are told mm -hmm. the government is your uh, savior. So yeah. No, I, it, it took me it took me quite a while to uh, like let go of my love for George W. Bush. That was, <laughs> that was really difficult for me. I, I grew up going to his rallies and stuff like that. So, mm -hmm. you know, as like a high schooler and uh, man. Yeah, that was rough. I finally I had I started a W sticker until like two years ago and I finally had like balls to just toss it out. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty bad. I mean, not as bad as his dad and his granddad, but he's you know, he's uh 
He's definitely just a part of that of that whole uh, yeah military industrial complex regime. Yeah. So. For sure. Um, gotta say, I love meeting and talking to people who are in like the creative spaces in the Liberty movement. So like I, I'm a filmmaker. I make documentaries mainly um, along with a few other things, um, but it's really cool to, you know, be like, talk to people who have other genres that they are like skilled in. Um, what, did you always know that you could write and did you always want to write? Uh, no, I, yeah, not, not per se. Like I I've known that I could write things, but I didn't really think that that was going to be a serious thing until way later. I, mm-hmm. when I was an undergrad, I originally was in, um, my school's art school for digital media. Cause I w- wanted to do something in production and then their program sucked. So I was like, okay, you know, not that it was in a good school. It was a great school. It's just their, their program was like, here, you're going to do a uh, pottery and, you know, ceramics and painting. I'm like, I came here to use computers, not do this, but they're, you know, they make you take all these other extra classes, you know, yeah. and, and I'm, at, I'm done. So I switched <laughs> to a bachelor of science in public relations and business where I actually got to spend more time with computers um, <laughs> and working with digital programs. Like, yes, this is what I want. And then uh, even then I, I wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do. I was still figuring things out. I took like a career management course and they said, Oh, maybe you'd be good at law. And I was like, oh, okay, whatever. So I went to law school after, um, which, you know, that of course changed my, my direction in life. Again, I was, I went thinking, Oh, I'm going to do something with intellectual property actually. And then I ended up switching more toward and gravitated more toward contracts, criminal defense. So I did a little bit of that, um, a little bit of entertainment, a little bit of not-for-profit law stuff for a short bit. Um, and then I switched over to education. So instead of like working with kids where, you know, it's on the, the rough end when I, I would do juvenile defense, I was doing substitute teaching and I was a full-time teacher at a, a 8A high school, which is like where they have like 2000 plus kids and then at a K to eight charter school. Um, so, you know, I had quite a few different shifts over time, uh, but then, you know, that was clearly unethical to me too. I was like, yeah, this is really bad. Like, compulsory schooling is really bad. I like, I kind of knew it, but I was like, okay, I, I got to really see it from behind the scenes and like confirm with myself. Okay. Yes. This is as, as bad as I remember it as bad as, uh, you know, I, I know with my ethics, I'm like, okay, there is no way to ethically do this. Um, and so I, I switched, you know, while I was, while I was doing that stuff, I, I opened up a tutoring company. I did tutoring stuff. Um, and then I started to roll into uh, doing production more, as a full-time thing eventually i kind of finally rolled out of that the educational part that's you know in the tutoring stuff altogether and started to just do uh liberty stuff pretty much full-time in production um so yeah i had a quite different you know journeys of different things that were going on leading up to that uh but along the way that i never was you know really seriously like in terms of my academic path thinking oh okay yeah i'm gonna like make comic books and music and music videos and then write nonfiction books it wasn't really um a focus or a thought <laughs> at yeah. that time so uh yeah i mean but I, I do have a production background i do obviously have a passion for for that kind of thing and you know i thought about that originally i was in school and i had always done stuff with photo and video and you know little film projects here and there just for fun mm-hmm. uh, you know, then it became more and more a possibility to do that as a regular thing. And so, you know, the comic series and then everything else kind of snowballed after. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's similar. It was uh, like, I I grew up making little movies just in my backyard with my brother, like just the dumbest movies you've ever seen. But uh, 
never really dawned on me that that could be a career. Like it was always, you know, graduate high school, go to college, get married, have a good career. Um, and it was, you know, it, it, it was very structured. It was a very structured life plan. Right. And uh, I definitely bounced around from to a bunch of different things. Um, it, it seems like a lot of creative people do that um, when they're trying to fi figure things out. Um, and like, as far as my brother, he, uh, he found Liberty because of his stint as a public school teacher. Um, so he saw like you, he saw firsthand what that can do to a bunch of kids and how that whole system is run. And it was during that time that he, he's actually the one who helped convert me to libertarianism was because he saw everything that was happening in the public schools and how mismanaged and everything, you know, all that system is, especially he, he taught at the, it's either the biggest high school, I think it was the biggest high school in Texas, biggest public high school in Texas, which is you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of kids and uh, such a miserable experience. Um, nothing about it. Did he enjoy? Um, he ended up getting accused of things that he never actually did. It became a whole fiasco. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that kind of turned him off to the funding government schools thing. <laughs> well, it's a prisoner's a complex. That's a, the, the thing in school. And, you know, I've experienced this as well, is that you're, you're in a prisoner mindset complex because many of these kids don't want to be there and they're frustrated by it. And they're going to look for anything they can to get at their, you know, prison warden. I mean, literally it's, you know, and I don't blame them. I get it. Like, it's like, Oh, okay. This makes sense. Like if you had a prisoner and they hated the warden, they're like doing anything they can to get the warded in trouble or say that like something's wrong. Same thing with the kids in, in, in the schooling situation. They literally will look for any way they can to try to say, Oh yeah, see the teacher, they did this bad or they lied or they, you know, threatened or whatever. Right. Um, so that, you know, that's, that's a serious uh, thing. I never had anything like that, like, you know, seriously manifest on, on me or anything like that, but I saw it I, and I saw it with other students and teachers and I was like, yeah, okay. That, well, let's make sense because it's, you know, to them, especially if they don't like you, especially if those students don't like you as a teacher, they're looking for any way they can to get you out or kicked out or in trouble. So absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, how, so for me, my film production company, I have just started basically fully transitioning to basically just making movies about liberty or that have very heavy undertones of of freedom and and um, individual rights and stuff like that um how i know a lot of your work or most of it or maybe all of it focuses on on liberty and uh libertarianism and, and voluntarism um how has that how's that gone for you as far as um as far as an audience goes, as far as like being able to sell books and sell comics and that kind of thing, like, has that hurt you in any way? Oh um, yeah. I mean, if you do things in the, and they're very Liberty oriented um, it definitely is. It's a general audience disadvantage, obviously, because if it's more specific and niche, you're, you're not going to be able to um, make as broad of an appeal. Of course, absolutely. Right. If it's more in the face, um, the flip side of that is that, if you have people who like that, of course, then you're also really appealing to them. So I found with the kind of work that I do that I have um, a pretty strong niche fan base, but uh, I have expanded and kind of um, you know changed direction. Like when I was first doing my comic stuff, I was doing things a little bit more 
uh, insider baseball with some of the titles and having fun with it. And then I learned that I improved over time. Then eventually I got to this point where I switched how I was doing the comic series to this, to the origin story where instead of it being more in the face, even though it is like actually like, you know, pretty on the face when you, on the inside, it's not preachy or anything like that. It's like a regular story. So I did, um, find it valuable to to move away from just insider baseball on the face you know humor that kind of thing and mm-hmm. to like try to move it more toward a, a mainstream audience with the content but i don't sacrifice you know the, the liberty themes i just i just it's just how it's presented some of the art and some of the, you know the framings of the story um but yeah i mean i think that it just depends on what your outcome is if you're you know it it, it it really is just a matter of, of what you're looking to do or what the project is. You know what I mean? And right. for some people, you know, they start with something more niche and, and then they do okay with that. And then they go broad. Um, you know, it's pretty rare that someone goes broad than niche, mm. but usually cause you know, the, you, cause you start, you start to build up success, you know, on the niche first, and then that gives you your, your testing grounds and you can go bigger. Right. Um, I think like Eric July, he did that very well. Um, nice. Yeah. Because of his his commentary, he focused on the mainstream. Like his commentary on comics was nor- normy stuff in terms of like talking about mainstream things. I mean, he he was critical of it, but he was talking about mainstream comic topic stuff. So that built up that more mainstream, you know, fan base. Um, so yeah, it just depends on on size, scope, of project, and what your outcome is. You know, what you want to do with it. Do you ever? For me, like I. I, I... I, I do struggle because I, I come from, you know, uh, I started my film career bef- way before I was a libertarian, way before I had all these, uh, you know, all these ideas. And I have I have some scripts that I've written that uh, definitely wouldn't go over well with the libertarian uh, community, let's say. Um, what do, have you ever like struggled with maintaining your principles and views in your artwork? Um, as opposed to like, you know, what people call selling out and going into more of a mainstream kind of deal. I haven't had any personal struggles with it. Um, I don't think it's required. I think, I think you can have compelling stories that are more mainstream without even selling out libertarian principles. It's just like the context of the the story, you mm-hmm. know, cause it, if it's something, you know, that's like a, a personal story of someone's life or a struggle. Like you, it doesn't have to be, Oh, and this is like how it relates to the government necessarily. Right. Um, so it's, it's really just a matter of who are the protagonists. What's the driving um, emotion that you're seeking to get out of people. Like how do they feel by the end of the movie uh, and, and that kind of thing. And then, you know, you tailor the, the dialogue to make sense within that. And I, I think that, you know, that strong storytelling is, is what matters no matter what you know, you're doing. It doesn't matter whether it's libertarian or not. If you, if you don't have a compelling story that makes someone want to, you know, keep watching or turn the page and it doesn't really matter at the end of the day, you know, they're not going to continue. So For sure. you, you, know, you got to put yeah the story uh, writing and craft first, always, you always got to do that. And I, I've definitely have learned that, you know, on the chopping blocks over the years, just, going through and, and having to edit and make mistakes and revising it better. Um, but you know, that's the only way you get better is actually by taking the time to make mistakes and learn from them and keep grinding until you get something that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Um, what would your, just from a creative standpoint, not, not like principles excluded, like what, what would be something you'd tell somebody who's just getting into a creative field, like what their mindset should be or like how they should approach 
what they would like to do in the in in a creative industry. Yeah, I mean, I mean, as a, as a art school dropout, I would say that uh, <laughs> it's a uh, all the best art. And those are the things I thought too when I saw you know studying history of art and all that stuff. Some of the best people in the creative world just um you know they don't ask for permission they just do what it is that they want to do creatively and you just you, you have to uh be willing to let your audience find you you know what i mean it, it's like um you know you're if you're passionate and you're trying just to get better generally whatever it is you know you just have to create and your audience will find you as you you know propagate and get it out there kind of thing um because yeah. Otherwise you're not going to be happy with what you're doing. If you're just sitting there like, you know, a regular business, like, Oh, how do I conform to, you know, marketing to think, Oh, well, what will this fit? You know what I mean? If you're, if you're really creative, you have to just be yourself and what you enjoy most mm -hmm. and then let your audience find you. And if you suck, well then that just sucks for you. But <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's the reality. I mean, some people need that reality check. Like, Hey, if you have this like really weird music style and nobody listens to it. Okay. Just, you have to just be willing to accept that you have five fans. Okay. Well then you just have to be like, well, I love doing this. Okay. Well, if you love doing that, then just accept that that's not what people like. I mean, that's fine. <laughs> but otherwise, it, you know, just do what you love and let that, um, you know, be, be what drives your, your fan base essentially, because they will come to you. You know what I mean? You just keep grinding that content and eventually, um, you know, typically, uh, you know, unless the government's trying to throttle you as they've done me many times, but <laughs> they will come to you, uh, you know, and, and, and see it and enjoy it. So. Yeah, that's, that's kind of what we've been discovering. We, we, we do this podcast in Georgia and then uh, one called Liberty Libations where it's a live show every Thursday night where we, me and, three or four other guys and girls just sit down and chat over drinks about, you know, sometimes it's news. Sometimes it's complete and utter nonsense, but we've, what we've discovered is like consistency is the key um, to getting more people watching um, mm -hmm. for us. And like, we'll, we'll up the production value, you know, when we can, but like putting something out at the same time, every single week on YouTube and rumble has like every single podcast we do, grows us a little bit more and you can kind of see it going at a somewhat exponential rate at this point um which is kind of cool so yeah i, I agree like grinding it out consistency um is what happened with my companies i i got burned out and stopped producing stuff and now it's really difficult to grow my channel it's going to take a very long time to to get back up there um yeah what uh let's talk about um a vision for a libertarian future I personally have not read it yet. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> um, can you give people a, I mean, I, I, oh, sorry. I, I will say I ordered it as soon as Elizabeth told me that you were going to be on the show, but I'm in the middle of nowhere, Montana. So oh, <laughs> it takes forever to get here. Um, like Amazon takes a week to get here. So it's, uh, it'll, it'll be a little while. Um, what, uh, yeah. Can you give people a brief description of, of what it's about? Sure. So A Vision for Libertarian Future here is the second of my nonfiction books after Definitive Guide to Libertarian Voluntarism. And it gives people a, a sense of 
incremental policy advocacy to kind of get behind. So it's it's kind of bridging that gap between like, okay, we understand the libertarian principles, but what should we be advocating for? Like, how are we moving toward an actual freer future other than just saying taxation is theft and then the Fed? So it's right. it really uh, yeah puts together some specifics on probably the most, I guess you could say, uh, painful government programs um, and, and some of the biggest problems that you know, you'd face in talking about a transition, like how do we get to a truly free market? And it does so in a prescriptive way. So this is definitely like a, hey, here's what you should do or try to focus on or think about. And it's not like a complete manual in terms of like, here's all the steps and X, Y, Z, you know, what to do. It's more so a big picture thing with some core goals and then, you know, the the push and the, the inspiration for people to take that and, and think about how to apply that in their own lives in whatever area it is that they have an interest, especially if it's in you know, a political realm, of course. Um, but there's stuff that here that's not necessarily political either. So, you know, I talk about everything from taxation and the Fed to the federal land holdings to citizenships and migration um, to stuff with the military uh, to, you know, talking about education. So really, you know, a lot of the big stuff and it just helps people kind of encapsulate what it is that they can get unified behind to actually really reduce the size, scope, and power of the state in a way that just doesn't send us all into chaos. Because I, I think that is often lost. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm a big radical purist, you could say. I'm definitely, I mean, it's not radical to me, but you know, I, I am anti-state uh, completely. Um, but I wholly uh, sympathize and understand why someone would be like, but yeah, but how do we get from A to B? How, you know what I mean? The, what about the roads and, and foreign governments, all this stuff? So those are real valid claims. So I, you know, I do joke about that, of course, in memes, like what, who will build the roads? But um, it's, it is important economic, uh, you know, intrigue and, and philosophy there that has to be dissected. And I, I talk about those things um, and help people kind of wrap their mind around uh, what can get us there without, again, throwing everything into chaos. So. I love that. I love that. That's that's something that. Uh, so I, I followed um, Shane Hazel for govern, mm -hmm. governor here in Georgia and, uh, you know, made a documentary about him. And one thing he would always say is, you know, take what you're good at and figure out how to implement that into libertarianism. And what I think creative people like Shane, me, maybe and even you um, sometimes forget is that not everybody is creative. And not everybody knows how that process can go and no, or even knows how to figure out what to do, you know, those just the, so I think like having a big picture and saying, you know, these are the things you can do is, is something that's pretty important because um, people just get lost and it's very overwhelming to come into this space. Um, so I think that, that kind of, I mean, you, you said it's not a full on manual, but it is a kind of a guide. Um, of sorts to uh to to you know take steps to to make a freer more libertarian world and and take the government down a notch um and i i just think it's hard for people to wrap their brains around how to even get started doing that at certain times um in their lives and so i think that's pretty cool that's pretty cool um pretty cool thing to have out there and i'm i'm excited to to read it once i <laughs> once i get it <laughs> well, thank you yeah i this book that is this is kind of like the bigger policy picture one the predicate book is more of the principles and i do have a third book coming out that'll be the end to the trilogy of what is kind of what you're describing here um kind of a primer on the philosophy a primer on the political action and a primer on um self-knowledge and self-help the third book is more in the self-knowledge self-help aspect it ties into these but it's it definitely is, is helping someone be a, a more a critical thinker and um 
a better applicant of the the principles in their own lives. So that last book will probably be out January um, 2024. Uh, it's basically done. Maybe it'll be out sooner. I don't know. We'll see. But um, that will kind of bring it all together. So with with those books, you know, these first two and the third, um, mm-hmm. you can give that to a newer libertarian. They're not thick at all. Like so, these are easy, digestible books. You can sit down on a lazy Sunday and read. And whoever, you know, would read those books, you know, read those three would immediately be immersed in the ideas of, of liberty, really get the foundations in a way that's like very actionable and consistent for them that, you know, they can feel comfortable and confident about those ideas. Like they wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't feel too shaky about it. I love that. I love that. And if any of y'all can hear it's starting to rain and thunderstorm here. So I apologize for any extra noise. Um, during the writing of these books, like for me, I wrote one book once and I'll probably never do it again because I hated it. It was it's a miserable experience. What's your experience like when you're writing? Like, do you want to pull your hair out? Like, what? how does that go for you? Um, so it's kind of weird because my first book, I pulled together about like half of it from articles I'd already written over the course of like 10 years. And then the other half of the book I wrote in an afternoon. So I kind of had it hodgepodge. I'm like, oh, you know, I really should just put this in the book. And the second book, I wrote that, you know, within a few days, just pounded it out. Because a lot of this stuff for me, um, you know, and what I'm writing, it, it comes from years of engagement and debates and articles and video production, like all this other stuff. So I'm drawing, you know, off of 15 plus years of hardcore experience. So it, it, it's a little bit easier for me in this realm. Um to write and just, you know, get stuff down. Cause I, a lot of it is just, you know, already there. Um, sometimes, you know, of course I have to go pull up some citations cause I think my second book has like 163 citations. So, you know, I like to have a bit of credibility with stuff that I write and, you know, cite to some good stuff as I go. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not too, too bad when the book, you know, is, is, is not too long, you know, in the hundred page arena, Right. Um, but I can imagine if I were to actually write a book that was like a honker, which would be like, you know, if I took all three of the books that I'm going to write and put them into one and I had to do that all in one setting, you know, a, a 300 plus page book at once, I could imagine that being a bit tedious and tiring. Yeah, um, sure. but there's just something to me about like the 20 ish thousand word books, you know, a hundred pagers that just feel very, uh, doable to me that feel, you know, convenient to, to just pump out like that. Yeah. Yeah. Pump it out and it makes it more, yeah. Easier for people to want to sit down and read it. You know, it's, it's not yeah. as daunting of a task to sit down and read that compared to Atlas shrugged, you know? <laughs> right. Exactly. And that, that was a big frustration too, is I didn't, I didn't see anyone and I've read a couple books that have tried to do this because I'm familiar with, you know, niche authors in this realm too, but mm-hmm. no one had done it in a way that I was really satisfied with completely. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I wrote the books that I did because I said, this doesn't really exist in this form out there. There's, more often people who are like, I'm going to just, you know, pull a quote from all these different other authors. Here's me, here's Rothbard, whoever, Hayek, and they'll like pull quote a bunch. And it's like, yeah, but that's not your own analysis and thought. So my books are rooted in my own anal- like independent analysis and thought mm-hmm. on libertarian theory and coming up with some things that are new, some things that are, you know, more normalized, but some things that are very new or, or, or differently articulated. Um, mm-hmm. But from my reception, and anyway, if you go check on the reviews, I mean, the reception is is overwhelmingly positive like on on my books and i think that's probably because i did a good job i think of um, encapsulating the core tenets of these principles and the core advocacies and putting it into a way that just makes it easy and digestible and understandable and quickly defendable too you know the way that i frame um you know the nature of self-ownership and consent you know developing that is something that 
no one can really actually deny just because consent, you know, is given because you want something to happen. Like you can't want your consent to be violated because wanting something right is consent. So it's these, these like logical things are mandatory, logical things that make it impossible to really refute, you know what I mean? And when you start with those kind of premises about, okay, how do people interact with each other? Then, you know, you only get people who would, who can lie to your face or try to, you know, gaslight you, but anybody else, you know, seeing that, like, yeah, I want you to rape me, like that, then that's not rape. That doesn't, you know, it's just, <laughs> you know what I mean, there's, there's these <laughs> fundamental things that you just can't escape. And once you get to that, um, you know, which is what property rights rooted in scarcity, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's very defendable. It's it's very easy for people to relate to because I think personally, from what I've seen, most people do get those principles for themselves. They, you know, they think, yeah, yeah, no one should rob me, no one should stab me and steal my stuff while I'm sleeping. Like they get that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then they give the special exception to the government, right? Oh, well, they can rob, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, yeah. so more of a personal question, do you ever get tired of talking about liberty and freedom? Because I listen to two of my best friends argue minarchism versus anarchism every Sunday night for like three years, and they just get into a screaming match by the end, and I'm just like, I'm out. Like, I can't do this anymore. Do you ever get tired of like having these discussions and talking about liberty and all this kind of stuff? <laughs> Um, not usually. I, I, uh, I usually enjoy talking about it, um, especially if there's something new. I mean, even mm-hmm. when I say the same story a bunch of different times, just the fact that I'm talking to somebody new and like helping them, you know, reflect on their own journey. I think right. it's, it's great. So I don't, I don't get too exhausted by that now. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. That's good. That's yeah. good, man. Jack, I'm so happy you came on this podcast. I am so happy that uh, Elizabeth reached out to you because, and I'm so happy I know who you are now because I, <laughs> I, I did not before. Uh, I definitely don't do, um, you know, I don't I, I don't do a whole lot of research outside of, of Rothbard, Hayek and, and, and Rand, you know. Hmm. Um, so I got to I got to expand my libertarian knowledge base for sure. I'm one of you know, I'm a new libertarian. I got to keep learning. So, um, yeah. How do how do people find you? How do people uh, get your book? That kind of stuff. Sure. Um, so you can get both books. I mean, they're, they're technically on Amazon, so they print on demand. Um, but my website, which has just uh, come up sufficiently to, to be usable is Jack J A C K V as a voluntarist Lloyd L O O Y D Jack V Lloyd, uh, com. You can also check out my comic book website V as in victory V O L C O M I C volcomic.com. Um, those are two of my, uh, websites that, you can pretty much connect to most of my things with between the two of them. Um, but if you, if you look me up online, I'm, I'm everywhere. I'm on Twitter. I'm on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Easton C minds me. We, I can keep going. It's, it's yeah, there's too many <laughs> social medias. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I got a lot of presence in different places and I have a lot of different projects in different places. So um, people, find me in different ways. Like if I, they see me on the unschooling homeschooling side of things, that's my page, the honest teacher. So I do a lot of promotion of that, you know, alternative education, uh, educating outside the state. Um, I, uh, do stuff of course with the comics. I do stuff with my music, with the philosopher. I do production stuff with her. We've done a bunch of things on, um, a gun rights and, you know, we've done a number of skits and educational videos on that too. Um, so there's like a whole bunch of things I can keep going with different memes and projects and whatever but those are just a few of the the fun ones so that's awesome seems like you're doing a whole lot which i very much appreciate um you're one of you, i mean that seems like uh what pe- you know what you were talking about at the beginning what people try to do at the very beginning of their 
conversion to libertarianism. They try to do all the stuff. And it seems like <laughs> you're at a point where you can do all the stuff, which is great. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's um, it's a product of first being grounded. I definitely am glad I didn't do that because you, you would look pretty dumb if you try to do it all from the beginning because <laughs> you're going to probably be contradictory. You're going to probably have some statist uh, inconsistencies. I spent years you know, kind of debating with people, talking to people. And, and my early activism was like the low level stuff, like, you know, working with, you know, being in part of like college libertarians or students, liberty stuff, you know, those kinds of things. And then I worked my way up over time to like doing more and more, uh, I guess you could say broader forms of activism. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with being spirited and wanting to do something. Um, I just, I find more often than not people who jump into the activism right away are probably missing out on some much needed personal development first and grounding in the principles. It's, it's, it's pretty rare that someone's going to immediately understand the ethics and the economics strongly enough to be consistent. Um, so Jack, thank you so much for, for joining us today. I really appreciate it, man. Um, and yeah, everybody out there, please uh, go to lpgeorgia.com to learn more about uh, Libertarian Party of Georgia and just liberty in general. Also, please go follow us on Rumble because we've got strikes on YouTube and at some point they're just going to kick us off and we're not going to be able to be on here anymore. So go check us out on Rumble, Instagram, Facebook, Odyssey, all the above. Um, and yeah, tune in to Liberty Libations every Thursday night at 8 p.m. Eastern and uh, Free Georgia Podcast. Um, it comes out every Tuesday. Thank y'all. We'll see you next Thanks, time. Jack. Thanks, Jack.